And hello, Lighthouse family. For those of you who are watching online, hey, we praise God for what He's doing. And we're grateful for the fact you've been going with us through the series of Judges. We're in Judges chapter 11 today. And we just pray again as we get into God's Word that you'll be blessed through it. Uh, the series of Judges has had a lot of feedback and it's been very, very encouraging. So um, in Judges chapter 11, we, uh, it's really a s- story about a guy named Jephthah. He is one of the judges of Israel. It's an amazing uh, but tragic story. There's a sense in which we are literally amazed at how God chooses men and women to follow him. We're thrilled because it encourages our hearts to see someone who is written off by his own family and by others, and that God brings him back to a sense of prominence within the nation of Israel. And really what I would call it is a comeback story. I think we love comeback stories because we see ourselves in them. Stories with resolve, grit, hope, often a major setback. And the setback can be someone who has done something wrong to you. It could be someone who mistreated you, somebody that hurt you, wrote you off. And somehow, some way, there's a way to come back and restore that which was lost. Truthfully, it happens to most of us in one way or another through different people, through different circumstances where, in a sense, people write us off, think we're not good enough, think we don't measure it, we don't fit the mold, whatever it is. And sometimes, let's be honest, we write ourselves off. And the intriguing part oftentimes is watching the story unfold in this passage of Judges 11 as God works in a person that his family booted out of the house and wanted nothing to do with him. So we're introduced to uh, Jephthah in the book of Judges, chapter 11. Uh, in the Holman commentary, they said, here's a guy, he's one of five-fold outline for the chapter, a desperado, a diplomat, a defender, a doubter, and a daddy. That's all found in the life of Jephthah. But before we go into God's Word today, let's just bow our heads in prayer and ask for God's blessing on our hearts today. Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for your Word. We thank you that it's inspired, that it's inerrant. And Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, you speak to each and every heart. So Lord, as we examine the Word of God today, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, and that, Lord, we would just not be those who hear the Word of God but we would be doers of the Word of God. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, the book of Judges, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute, and Gilead was the father of Jephthah. Uh, Many of us as believers suffer from what I call an inferiority complex. We often feel that we we don't fit the kind of mold of a person that God can use. Truth be told, we need to stop judging ourselves by the world's standards. If you're feeling that way, feeling like you're judging, you, that no, there's no way God can use me because I don't fit what the kind of person that God could use, well, then this message is for you. I want to encourage you today through God's Word that God is more than able to use you for His glory. God has no set standard or mold as to the kind of individual He uses. This verse is definitely a study in contrast. A mighty warrior, son of a prostitute. You think, how do you put those two together? It's quite a mix. 
It leads us to ask the question, what happened early in this guy's life, and how does he become a warrior? We pick it up in verse 2. And Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our house, for you are the son of another woman. He seems to have had the privilege of growing up in his father Gilead's house, surprisingly. However, his brothers, in a bid for uh, more uh, of the family wealth and security, uh, kicked him out of the family so he wouldn't get part of the family inheritance. To be an outcast from your family in that day and era would have been a terrible shame, especially in that day. Today, it's, we don't make up such a big deal of it, but to be kicked out from your own family, yeah, that would be a really hard blow to try to comprehend. It would be a huge struggle. But through it all, God was at work in Jephthah's life. See, I want to, I want to remind you of this. We don't need to be a prisoner to our past. You hear me? We don't need to be a prisoner to our past. In Philippians 3.13, the Apostle Paul says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it on my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straightening forward to what lies ahead. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, it's rather intriguing because he was a murderer. He was a person who imprisoned Christians. He did a lot of things that if he really focused on them, I would say that it would have hindered his walk with Christ. He says, I forget those things which are behind and I press forward to the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? I'm going to focus on what God wants for my life. I'm not going to allow my past to hold me back. See, God delights in using people whom society or family have thrown away, marginalized, or even rejected. And you see it all throughout Scripture. We pick it up in Judges 11, verse 3. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. See, Jephthah did not have the protection of his mother's family, so he was forced to leave his father's territory, head north to the land of Tob, near Syria. In Tob, Jephthah apparently gained notoriety as captain of a band of adventurers or worthless fellows. The Hebrew words means to make empty. It refers to idle people looking for something to do, and they follow Jephthah. And so the issue that we look at this situation is that there would have been pain in Jephthah's life from being ousted from his own family, from his own uh, brothers, even though they were half-brothers. And he could have allowed that pain to, in a sense, stop him from doing anything in his life. The question is this, are you allowing pain to build you or to break you? Because every one of us are, are going to face circumstances in our lives that are going to hurt, whether it's from family from friends, they're going to do things that are really going to hurt you, and you can either listen to that and get caught up in that and allow it to cripple you and disable you, or you can allow it to build you. See, God does not even waste our failures. You might have thought in your own life that I've, made, I've done things that are wrong, I've done things that uh, just really aren't right, but God can use even that aspect of your life that's been maybe a failure, maybe there's been something you've done wrong. And the thing is, God can use even your failure as you turn to him to build you and mold you into a man or woman of his honor and for his glory. Uh, God was using his very pain 
to make him into man of God, a valiant warrior. So through this pain, through this struggle, God was at work molding his life. When I think about the parable of the prodigal in the Gospel of, chapter, uh, Gospel of Luke, what's intriguing is that when the uh, prodigal son leaves his father's home and goes off to a far-off country and spends his money on living that the King James calls riotous living, uh, somebody said, you know, when he was away, he was out of the, out of, from his father's home. He was doing things that were wrong, but I still believe that when he was living in an ungodly, unchristlike way, and even to the point where he ends up in a pig pen, that God can use that as a school to teach him lessons he otherwise would never have learned. God can use your failure. God can use your struggle. I'm reminded of the conversation that Jesus had with Peter in the Gospel of Luke chapter 22, uh, 31 to 34. Simon, Simon, this is just before Christ was going to be crucified. Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you even know me. So even though Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him, he said, I'm praying for you. Satan's going to sift you, but my purposes will still be accomplished in your life in spite of your denial of who I am. So I believe that God uses Simon Jephthah's life to prepare him for what laid ahead. Jephthah became sort of what I would call a Hebrew Robin Hood. During this time, his men who were misfits with checkered backgrounds, and they would join him in excursions and military expeditions and strikes against the enemies of Israel during this time. It's speculated oftentimes that Jephthah is a lot like David when he's running away from Saul, and he gathered worthless fellows around him, and he, they became his valiant warriors. They probably served as an informal police force that protected the Hebrews from the attacks of their enemies. That's what Jephthah did. It seems that Jephthah was able to mold these misfits into an effective fighting force and showing himself to be a real leader of men. So through this time, after being booted out of his family's household, living in a far-off country, going on military raids, God is at work and he's developing and shaping his life even through this time. See, if you believe in divine sovereignty, and I certainly do, you know that every, that even the worst circumstances that can happen in our lives are all part of God's plan to shape us and to mold us to be more like Him. So I don't know what you're going through in your life. I don't know what struggle you're going through in your life. God hasn't written you off. He's just teaching you. And some of you, you're hard learners. You're tough learners. So guess what? It's going to be a little tougher circumstances because God has not given up on you yet. So whether you realize it or not, all the days of your life have been structured by God to make you into a person he wants you to be. He said, every circumstance, God can use every circumstance. Why? Because he's sovereign and he knows what he's doing. So people like Jephthah with struggles, with challenges in their lives, came and started to hang and spend time with Jephthah. The principle is this. 
people tend to gravitate towards those who reflect what is in their own hearts. Look to the people you hang with. The people, all too often you'll find the people you spend time with are people a lot like you. So we seek out others who often tend to be like us. But listen to my words here. The people you spend your time with reveal the sort of person you are. You hear me? The people you spend time with, the people you spend time with a lot, reveal what kind of person you really are. If someone is discontented, they will gravitate towards those who are discontents. People that are upset and angry, they, they tend to draw people in there discontent and angry. If someone is given over to a specific sin, they will gravitate towards others who struggle with the same sin. But listen to these words. A person who has a true heart for the things of God will gravitate towards others who are seeking God like him. You hear that? A person who has a true heart for the things of God will gravitate towards those who have a heart for God as well. Today would be a good time to consider uh, what kind of people do you spend time with? It reveals really where your heart's at. And then we uh, notice in Judges 11 verse 4, after time the Ammonites made war against Israel. Why? Because the nation of Israel had gone back to serving the Baals. And God, this is part of God's judgment. And the verse now in verse 4 carries us back to Judges 10, 17, 18, where the sons of Gilead were in dire straits and needed a military leader like Jephthah to lead them because there was no leader in the group with them. And then in Judges 11, 5 and 6, And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. Isn't it interesting what crises brings to one's life? I, I find it always interesting. Crises really reveals people's hearts. So in crises, the leaders of Israel go to persuade Jephthah to be their military commander and lead them into battle. The guy that they said nothing about, the, one, the guy that got booted out of, their, out of their country, now they're going back, oh, could you please help us? See, Jephthah didn't go looking for this job. But God had prepared him for this job in the land of Tob. See, my job in the Christian life is this, to be faithful where God has placed me, to learn the lessons he is teaching me, and to be available at all times. Somebody put it very wisely and said this, bloom where God has planted you, and he will lead you where you need to go. See, it's God's job to open up the doors of opportunity in our lives. But an available heart will always find lots to do for God. In Judges 11, verse 7, we read these words. Jephthah said to the leaders of Gilead, Do you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now that you're in distress? So fine, how do you do? He reminded them of their former, what I would call, ostracism and that they might repent of it and in the future be a little more careful how they treat others. Because of my heritage, because I was born the son of a prostitute, you want nothing to do with me. That was not my choice. That was not my doing. It was my father's doing. And you basically kicked me out of the country. You want nothing to do with me. And now that you're in trouble, you're coming back to me. 
you part of wanting me is to, uh, to leave and now you want to have me come back? In verse 8, it says, The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be the head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Rather than trying to make excuses for what they did uh, by their complicity in allowing his brothers to kick him out of their home and out of their country, they sweeten the pot, so to speak. They repeat their offer and they said, tell you what, we want you to be our ruler, our judge as well. You think, well, that's a real twist, isn't it? The one guy they didn't want, they don't want nothing to do with, come back and save our skins. And by the way, if you do, we'll make you the, you'll make you the ruler. The offer must have seemed incredulous to Jephthah. Listen to his words in verse 9. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. Having to deal with persons with whom he had tended to distrust for good reason, he determines to bind them to an agreement. Jephthah replies, although acknowledging God's power in battle still appears to be motivated somewhat by his own self-interest, this is if God comes through, but one thing I do appreciate about Jephthah is he mentions the Lord a lot. In all his negotiations with the leaders of Israel, he emphasizes the Lord. There seems to be a sense that he's really grounded somewhat in his knowledge of who God is. And I need to clarify that, who God is, not in terms of his demands. It was the Lord who would give them the victory, not Jephthah. An agreement between him and the elders would be drafted and ratified before God at Mizpah. So in Judges 11, verses 10 and 11, And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all those words before the Lord at Mizpah. In other words, they confirm what they're saying. We're appealing to God's omniscience as a judge and how sincere. We're making this agreement, this covenant before God that we're going to hold to our word but they think we need a leader, we need someone to do this, so we're going to agree to him being our ruler, and we're going to do this before God. Whenever we speak, we should always remember, God listens. And then we need to be careful how we speak. Think about it. These rulers of the nation of Israel, asking Jephthah to rule over them, said, let's make a vow before God, and so that we stick to our words and Jephthah wanted to stick to the words because he really didn't trust them. But the question is sometimes we have to be careful of the things we say because we think, well, nobody else is listening. Well, God always listens. He hears every word we say. He hears that. And we need to be careful what we say so that our yes is yes and our no is no and what we agree to, we agree to. It must have been quite an occasion for Jephthah to be raised up in front of his family as the, now the ruler over Gilead, in front of the rest of Israel. The man that they booted out, they wanted nothing to do with, now he's been elevated. And it was not his doing, it was all God's doing. He goes from being a reject to being a ruler. He would now rule over a nation that had rejected him. That would have been something that you could never have forecast in that day. An ironic change of events. And in Judges 11, 28, 12 to 28, 
we see Jephthah now using diplomacy to try to avoid and avert military conflict with the Ammonites. So he preaches an eloquent and pervasive sermon to the king of Ammon. The sermon can be succinctly summarized this way. God gave Israel the land that they now occupy, hands off. And what's really intriguing about this whole aspect, you read through it, it's been a challenge for the nation of Israel from that day even to now, where the argument is, whose land is this? And Israel says, God gave it to us. And then here's the argument. In Judges 11, 23 and 24, so then the Lord, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Amorites from before the people of Israel, and are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all that the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess. Jephthah argues with them, basically, admittedly, on their own principles. It's a maxim with you among the nations that the lands that they conceive to be given by their gods, they have absolute right to and should not relinquish any claimant whatsoever. Chemosh, he gave you these lands. You believe that they're yours because your God gave them to us, right? Well, our God gave us this. So you suppose the land which you possess was given by your God? Yeah, we're not going to relinquish what God has given us as well. This land belongs to us by divine right. And so he said that God had given, the God of heaven and earth had given them this land and they were not going to give it up at this juncture or point. And Israel had lived on that land for 300 years. But the king of Ammon was saying, hey, this land's ours, we want it. In Judges 11, 25 and 26, we pick it up. And this is, again, the diplomat, the uh, Jephthah, debating with these, these, this foreign nation. He said, now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab? Did he ever contend against Israel or did he ever go to war with them? Well, Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages and in Aror and its villages and in all the cities that are on the banks of Arnon 300 years. Why did you not deliver them within that time? Balak was actually the king of Moab who hired Balaam to curse the Israelites. I don't know if you know the story, but it's very true. And the curses turned out to be repeated blessings because every time Balaam would try to pronounce a curse over Israel, he could only just bless and bless and it really infuriated uh, Balak because he'd hired this guy to curse them. Wouldn't happen. And so he clearly, at this point, Jephthah clearly realizes the legitimacy of the claim of Israel to the land they have. 300 years, neither Moab or Ammon have succeeded in retaking the land, and now they say, we want it back, it's ours. Really. And that battle is still going on today in Palestine. Did such a long occupancy prove uh, Israel's right to the area? See, if the Ammonites declare war on Israel, they will be fighting against the Lord, which will end up in disaster and defeat. We know this. In verse 27, we see that he says there, I therefore, this is Jephthah saying, I've not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge, capitalized, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. And Jephthah tries to reason with the king of Ammon, but in the end, the king of Ammon disregards the message. And we pick it up in verse 28. And the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. Later, he didn't pay attention. Typical of many people who sit under God's word on Sunday mornings. Don't pay attention to the Bible being read, taught, 
and walk away and forget what the message even was about. So Jephthah turned out to be as forceful and strong-minded and negotiated with the king of Ammon as he'd been with the tribal leaders of Gilead. He displayed a strong grasp of historical reality. It's amazing how well he knew Israel's history in his debate and logistical arguments with the king of Ammon. His response was direct to the point, told the king, check your history, check your logic, and check your facts. But again, God allowed this circumstance for Jephthah to rise to a place of prominence and leadership, even though he had been initially rejected. What, what do we learn from this passage? You say about warfare? No. Here's what we learn. We learn, number one, we all have strength and weaknesses. But the Lord can use us and make us something special out of our lives. Again, remind yourself of this. God is able to use whoever he chooses to use. So we need to be careful that, number one, we don't write other people off around us because God can use them. But you know what I sometimes find the biggest thing? Even, especially when I counsel individuals, how many people write themselves off through negative thoughts? And, and what will happen is Satan, this deceiver, will attack you. And he'll bring up all this crud, this sin, the stuff you've done in the past, and he just brings it up before you over and over again. And you say, because I've done all this stuff, God can't use me. Oh, my friend, you don't understand God then. Because God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. And, and what you need to really comprehend at this point is that you need to look at the fact that God is willing to do with your life what he wants as you submit and humble yourself before him. God can use the problems from the past. God can use the struggles from the past. And he can use them to bring them for your honor and for your glory. And so the whole idea there, again, is that, as the phone rings, God can use you in spite of your past, your family, or your failures. Your treatment of others, though, also reveals how you really feel about God. You can and should serve God faithfully today and trust Him with all your tomorrows as you seek by God's grace to live for Him. As you seek by God's grace not only to live for Him, but also to realize as you submit to Him, He can do anything and everything with your life as you submit to Him and say, God, I give my life as a sacrifice to you and Lord, take all the stuff that's there and use it for your honor and glory. And when you give it to him, he will transform your life and make you do an individual that shines forth with the honor and glory of God as you commit yourself to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we just pray, Lord, for your blessing upon it. And I pray for those who've listened to this message, Father, that you would encourage their hearts. Lord, help us not to write ourselves off we thank you for the story of Jephthah. And what's unique about this, Lord, is that, Lord, the, the, the person that had, was rejected by his family, that was rejected by his nation, is the one you chose to ri rise up again, to raise up, to lead that nation to victory over the enemy. And Lord, you're able to use anyone, and we're grateful for that. In Christ's name, amen. Now, don't forget to tune in next week. Yes, we're going to talk next week. We're going to carry on from this passage in Judges. We're going to talk about the danger of spiritual ignorance. Oh, my. There's a sense of tragedy with the life of Jephthah. But stay tuned.
We'll be into it next week. And uh, God bless you. I hope you have a great week.